Well, so I'm just thinking about like for myself, like I have an old sports injury in my knee, for example, and uh, and it it bothers me sometimes if I'm working out or whatever. It'll bother me sometimes, and, and but I can get by. You know what I mean? I can. I, I mm-hmm. adjust or whatever. So it doesn't really affect my work or it doesn't really affect my ability to do the things I need to do to take care of my kids or get around the house or take care of my household responsibilities. But I'm thinking, well, you know, once I get to be 60, 70, 75, 80, the, that, that knee might play a, that, that aggravated knee might cause a bigger and bigger problem going forward. Do you have ways of accounting for that or identifying those types of issues? Um, that would be up to the orthopedic surgeon, maybe an MRI, and then they will determine whether the injury exasperated an old injury. Um, as a nurse, we do not diagnose with medical diagnosis. We only do nursing diagnosis. So you mentioned earlier that you you might, there's certain circumstances under which you might reach out to the treating physicians or the orthopedists or those kinds of things. Um, uh, so how often do you do that and what does that typically look like? Um, so like during life care plans, I will do an assessment of the client after I've reviewed their records and summarize them. And then after the assessment, I'll put a questionnaire together and, um, I will send that out to their physician. Then I will do follow-ups, making sure they got the form. They filled out the form after they've sent it back. I review it. I make sure that I've addressed everything. And then I will make sure I reach out to the client one more time, make sure that what I've addressed is what they're saying is what they've addressed. And then I will collaborate, call that physician and go over their, um, the client's questionnaire with them based on what their recommendations are and make sure there are no changes and I didn't misinterpret something. Okay. So, so then, uh, let me ask you this. Does, does any part of your, let's take somebody who's, um, you know, paralyzed or lost a limb, for example, in one of these catastrophic accidents. Um, at, you know, you read about medical technology, you read about uh, the future of medicine and all the different things they're doing, whether it's uh, stem cells or sort of, uh, you know, uh, prosthetic limbs or uh, artificial intelligence or whatever. Um, does any of your work account for any of these sort of break? technologies that might really change and impact a person who's suffered a catastrophic injury, or is it more sort of conventional uh, type things? No, absolutely. I just did a cost projection for a gentleman who had a crush injury and he lost these two fingers, his pinky and his ring finger. And um, I reached out to, to two different prosthetic people and one person does them to where they look almost natural. So it looks like your real finger. And then one is more mechanical. So I got cost projections for those um, and I put those in my cost projection, but I left both different ones in there versus taking one over the other because I'm not that client and he gets the option to decide, do I want more natural looking or do I want the, you know, the mechanical one? So um, that was sent back to the attorney for them to discuss with the client so that they could incorporate which one that he would prefer um, because he was, you know, very depressed from losing his fingers and not looking natural. And so we had to do some psychology evaluations and therapy for him on that as well. So no, we definitely take into futures. Um, do you find, uh, sorry. That's okay. Do you find a, a lot of people after catastrophic injuries 
have psychological injuries that are diagnosed and that need to be treated? Yes, absolutely. Uh, what what does that look like? What is the what is that what does that future care look like in a in the case of a diagnosed mental health injury that's subsequent to a physical injury? Um, huge is depression. Huge is very very huge is depression, and then um, social anxiety they'll get because of now they might look different or they might act different um, or they don't have the same personalities they used to have. So they definitely need need long-term psychotherapy, someone to talk to, someone to help address those situations, someone to give them guidance on how to um, look at those and try to change maybe some of their habits that they used to do and then incorporate new things to help them get back out there and have a quality life. So do you, do you, do you run into some of those uh, conditions that are not diagnosed? Do you ever see things at records and think, Hey, this person really should should have a uh, mental health assessment to see if they do have any of these depression or social anxiety or different personality sort of situations. Yeah, because when I review the records, I'm reading almost everything and including everything that that client will state, because, you know, if they're stating I'm like so depressed or I can't do this anymore, I can't do that anymore. I always incorporate at least an evaluation with the psychotherapist and they're a psychologist. Um, and evaluation is definitely, you know, key. And then they can always add in more visits. So be not a, you know, be not a physician myself. I would always give them the opportunity of at least an evaluation. You mentioned something about someone, uh, someone having a different personality after or something like this. What do you mean? Give me an example. And why would that be the case? Um, they might hit their head on the steering wheel. They might hit their head on the back of the um, headrest or the side of the window, or when they fall, they hit their head on the ground. It just depends on where they might hit their head. It could change who they are, but it could also just change from not even hitting their head just because it's a new, like, let's say the gentleman who lost his fingers. Now he's got a, a whole different outlook on what he looks like. That's traumatic. And, you know, their social aspects or they're depressed now because they don't look like they used to. So, so, so for example, we see this sometimes when young people have a debilitating or maybe even a disfigurement, then, then they're, they have some social anxiety about, okay, what's it going to be now when I go, uh, when I go on a date, when I go, uh, um, to work, when I go in a social setting, are people going to look at me differently? Are people going to treat me differently? Are people going to feel sorry for me? Are people going to be repulsed? These kinds of things, you know, are, are natural questions that people have in that. Are, are these the kind of things that you're talking about? Correct. Yes. And, and what was, what would be the prescribed treatment for these kinds of things? What would you do to address the future medical need of the, something like this? Um, psychotherapy, definitely. Someone they can communicate with. A psychologist. Those are so the books. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that, go ahead. I'm sorry. So that so 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 what you're trying to focus on is what are the comprehensive medical needs of a person who has a traumatic injury? If there is a way to uh, treat their medical condition physically, then that's a part of it. If there's some future technology that might be available, that's a part of it. If there's a psychological component, that's a part of it. And you try you're trying to quantify all these things and put them together in a usable report that the uh, that the lawyer for this tra traumatically injured person should be able to use to get compensation to, a, to fund the treatment that's needed in the future. Is that the idea? Correct. 
So um, let me ask you, as far as these psychological injuries, uh, well, first, let me ask you, are you doing more? Have you, how long have you done this, this type of work? And are you seeing it used these type of future medical analysis uh, calculations and projections used more in now or, or are they used less now than they were say five, 10, 20 years ago? Well, I haven't been doing the cost projections five, five or 10 years ago. I've been doing them for three years now. Um, but I see them quite frequently in all the reports that I do based on their records. Okay. And, and you said, uh, and let me ask you this, the mental health component to it. Um, are you seeing, uh, it seems like years ago, people didn't take those mental health injuries as seriously as they do now. They would sort of, uh, you know, the first priority would be the physical health and these uh, mental health treatment um, um, plans or injury, mental health injuries weren't taken as seriously as that. Is that your, is that your observation as well? Or do you feel differently? No, I feel the same way. I feel they always focus on the, um, the mechanical injury portion versus our psychosocial and the um, psychotherapy part of it. But do you feel like the psychosocial psychotherapy part of it is important? Oh, absolutely. So, so uh, are you seeing more of those types of analyses and are you, are you finding them to be, uh, and what, what's the reception of these kinds of uh, this, this kind of analysis on your part? I think it's a great reception because people are realizing that not everybody is the same and that not everybody thinks the same and that everybody's brain is different because like me getting a car accident, I might not think anything of it because I've been a nurse for so many years. Yeah, whatever, I'll just go on where you got somebody else who's never been in one and now they're traumatized. They can't get in their car. They have nightmares of the um, seeing the traumatic injury or the, the accident all over again, you know? So yeah, it's huge. How do you know the difference? I mean, how, how is there, are there objectives ways to, to, uh, to see the difference between somebody uh, who's, who's, what are the objective ways of to identify a person who's struggling with these kinds of things versus not? Um, asking them questions, you know, getting them to talk about the accident. Um, when you do a life care plan, I ask all those questions. Are you sexually still active? And if they say, well, and I say, okay, I know it's a tough subject, but do you have complications with it? Are you fearful of it? Do you feel like you can't perform as much? And then if you can get them talking, it helps. And then you can figure out what you need to do to get them the help. Are you, so are you seeing uh, when, when you're putting these, putting this information together in a report and sending it to the people for whom you work, do you get feedback on whether this was uh, uh, valuable information? I do not. I don't hear anything back from the attorneys on how the cases went. Well, so um, I can tell you from our experience uh, that 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 we find these studies to be in these in this analysis to be very helpful for us in terms of um, because a lot of times the the adjusters, the lawyers, the people representing the defense or the insurance company will discount any kind of reference to future medical care. The idea being, hey, if you needed the care, you would, you would have already received it. And then sometimes what we find is that this ongoing care, uh, we can't just wait until the end of the care because a lot of people are just never going to finish treating after a catastrophic accident. So so for us to be able to build a forecast, a uh, reliable forecast based on you know experienced people who are in this industry, who use accepted models and accepted um, 
literature on how to construct these kinds of future analytical uh, um, studies. It's it's really valuable and it, and it is compelling to first insurance adjusters and insurance defense lawyers, but also to juries. Um, and so we, we find it to be very, very helpful. Uh, what about you? Do you, do you ever, have, do you uh, occasionally testify about these kinds of things? I have testified and I have not, I've only seen one, um, I've done one deposition and then one actual jury trial. And so, so why do you think that is? Why, why is it that you've only done, you've been doing it for a long time and you've done lots of these things. Why do you think that, uh, or do you have an opinion as to why it's 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 you haven't had to do it hadn't had to testify very often? I think because my reports are pretty um, conservative to the fact that I'm not overcosting things, and these are things that look, you know, like yes, this is a possibility that could happen, and then the they will mediate it out, and they don't go to court. So the idea then, I guess, is that because. You could probably just as soon, just as easily um, be an expert for the defense as for the plaintiffs, right? If you're given uh, conservative opinions that are documented in um, in the literature and in, and in the medical records and in your interviews, is that fair? And that's fair to say, yes, I could do both sides. So you're not really trying to just advocate exclusive for the plaintiff in, in a way that is... Um, uh, you know, only on uh, on the plaintiff side of things and and all that. You're trying to give a, a an objective findings about what you see and what kind of future medical care will be required. Is that is that is that your is, how do you approach it? That is correct. I've done a couple cases for the defense already where I look at the usual usual customary reasonable charges to see if they're being charged at the right you know the fair value. Well, let me ask you about that. We hear a lot about this usual, customary, and 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 uh, reasonable charges, and I always I, I always have questions about that because I understand the the uh, insurance company's perspective. I understand the defense lawyer's perspective when he or she asks about those kinds of things. In other words, we can't have just hospitals charging, you know, a million dollars to for a broken finger to reset a broken finger. But as a consumer, as a plaintiff. I don't have any control about what that bill is. I don't have any, I, I, I go to the doctor and, or I go to the hospital, or I go to the ER. I have a, a broken bone or some kind of traumatic injury. I don't even ask for anything. Half the time, most of the, a lot of times that person may not be conscious. What's the response to the, to uh, the, the argument that, Hey, this is beyond what a is reasonable and customary in the, in the industry. So when I do the costings, I take three different databases. So I use those and I look at the 75th percentile. That's the mean between the 50th and the 90th. So it's the 75th. And then I'll have the three databases tell me what the median is. So that's on average across the board. And it's all based on zip codes as well. Um, so we look at the zip code of the person where they're um, living and then the three databases. And then I pull that mean out and that's the cost that I project. So I'm at like the 75th percentile. So I'm not way above, I'm not way under, I'm like in the middle ball range. So when my attorneys are going out there and mediating, they know they're not saying, well, we're charging at 150% above what should be charged. So I'm giving them, you know, the, the leeway of both sides. 
What about, do you ever look backwards at medical bills that have already been incurred, not future, but past medical bills, and assess whether those medical bills are reasonable and necessary according to the industry standards that you've described? Yes, I've done that for the defense. I've gone all the way back to 2017. You ever do that for plaintiff's lawyers? No, I've not had one ask me to yet. So, well, after our discussion today, we might we might uh, talk to you about that because, okay. you know, sometimes they, the insurance companies will look at our past medical expenses and sort of make those arguments. And, you know, my position, you you know, is, is like, we didn't, that's the that's how much we owed. Like we didn't make, I didn't make the bill, you know, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, okay. Well, Hey, listen, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you talking to us. I appreciate you giving us all this information. It's been very helpful. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.